Hey there, what's up? Welcome to another episode of To Dare is Human, a podcast dedicated to stories of grit, determination, persistence, and sometimes plain hard-nosed stubbornness on the human journey to success. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Today, I'll be sharing the story of Raleigh Peterkin, an Ivy League-educated former Wall Street banker who, after a chance encounter in South America, left the skyscrapers of Manhattan behind and went from trading bonds to trading blows as a professional fighter in the world of Peruvian MMA, or mixed martial arts. His journey from the opening bell to the octagon led him to write a book, appropriately titled The Cage, Escaping the American Dream, in which he details his transitions and the many challenges associated with diving into a familiar sport enveloped in an unfamiliar environment. Today, his travels have led him across the pond to Spain, where he has settled for the moment, teaching English and continuing his pursuits in writing. I'm so excited to have him on the show today, not only for his journey and indelible drive, but for the way in which he made his dare by consciously forcing himself into a deadline in the form of a one-way plane ticket. I look forward to having you hear his daring journey and related success in this episode. So without further ado, here's the man himself, hailing from Wellesley, Massachusetts, to the halls of the University of Pennsylvania, to the cages of Peru, to this interview held actually in the streets of Tenerife in the Canary Islands of Spain, here's Raleigh Peterkin. Okay, so I'm here today with Raleigh Peterkin, a writer of The Cage and uh, Wall Street man turned Peruvian MMA fighter slash author. Big story there. I wish I could jump right into it, but first I'll say, Raleigh, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here talking with you. I heard about you through a mutual friend of ours who you knew through wrestling and through school and who experienced, maybe not firsthand, but a lot of this story right along as you were experiencing it and of mm-hmm. course has told me uh, along along the way all about your book and all about your journey and I, I felt like it had to be it had to be shared here. I know you've done a couple of podcasts and certainly some press for the for the book, which we'll talk about hopefully later, but honored to be able to have you on the show and to talk especially about what caused you to make a change from a pretty stable looking path forward to this new territory that wasn't necessarily that new to you because the martial arts or wrestling was something that you were involved with before, but generally just wanted to to explore that. Yeah, it was, it was still pretty new, new. It was still pretty new in a lot of ways, but yeah, it had certain familiar aspects of it for sure. So let's go back to before you made this change. You were, uh, you know, wrestling growing up. You went to school, recruited, I believe, right into college for for this. Yep. Yep. And so you spent four years at Penn wrestling for the team. And then towards the end of your college career, sort of a a heartbreaking end to it. And it caused you to not pursue wrestling past that. Yeah. So, I mean, I always had really high goals for myself. You know, I was they were definitely goals within reach. You know, I, I, I had beaten a lot of the top guys in the country and I always wanted to be an All-American, which is like top eight in the country, which, you know, you're standing on the podium after the uh, NCAA tournament at the end of the year, or, you know, national champion. And I always vocalized those goals. I said, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to be a national champion. And um, I, I worked really hard for it. And for three years in a row, I lost in the uh, in the same round of the NCAA tournament, which is like the round of 12. So it means basically if you win this round, you're an All-American automatically. And if you lose... That's it. You're just done. And I lost in the same round three years in a row. 
And um, my final year, it was just really devastating. Like I cried forever. And, um, you know, for, for months, I think I was like, I was really depressed. And like, I just, it just seemed like, you know, it was like really, uh, life wouldn't go on. It was terrible. I couldn't imagine it. And, and like you said, I, you know, there, it's really difficult to continue in wrestling. Like there's no money in it. It's not like a lot of other sports where there's a professional aspect of it. You can pursue the Olympics and all that stuff, but it's very difficult financially. And it's just such a long shot. There's so many guys competing for like, because of the, like the, the Olympics they've cut down. So there's only seven weight classes. So like seven guys in the whole country, you know? And, um, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to pursue. And, um, and I had this job offer waiting for me. So it was like, Oh, I guess like I'm, I have to take this, but like in the back of my head, I did really miss wrestling in so many ways, in so many different aspects of the sport. It's pretty amazing that even though, you know, you met the, the same result year over year, it's extremely high performing nonetheless. I mean, I, I don't think I could beat up my sister or release wrestler or pinner, much less anybody else. You come back year after year regardless, and knowing that this end is coming, or at least seeming to come, you take uh, interest in other things, obviously, you know, school, uh, the real world starts to kick in, and you end up with uh, an offer and a job on Wall Street, which which you ended up taking. So, you know, year after year, persistence in wrestling, but still, you got to go and make a living for yourself. And so, how long were you on Wall Street? Well, the thing is, like, I was actually really passionate about, about finance for like my whole life. I know it sounds like kind of like nerdy thing, but I remember like even in high school, if you're like, what do you want to do? I was like, I'm going to be working on wall street. Like I knew it. Like I used to read tons of books on it, read barbarians at the gate when I was like a junior in high school or something. And, um, I went to Penn specifically because of the business school and I worked every single summer during college in New York city in, in finance jobs. So it was like something that it wasn't just something I kind of like stumbled on after, like a lot of people, their junior year of college, they kind of wake up like, oh, I should go do finance. Like it was something I was actually interested in for a long time. And I didn't, it wasn't like I like hated it. Like I, um, you know, I got this job and I was there for two years and, you know, it was my life. It was like all I did. It was, I, I started only hanging out with friends that were in, in the business and, you know, people in my field that I would like do do business with. And we were, we rented a shore house together and in New Jersey and like it became like a huge thing in my life and it was kind of the only thing actually for a long time and that's kind of how the the culture is there um on Wall Street it's like very much I don't use the word cultish because it's like too strong of a word but like it's very much like you know you you buy into the the system there and it's like um it just kind of become it sucks you in it's kind of the the only you kind of forget about your your other life sometimes and i mean not everyone making a huge generalization right now but i guess this is kind of what happened to me i just became so um allured by the the lifestyle and and the the community of it and like yeah it was like a really huge part of my life and i was doing all right there i mean i was trading bonds for a, a big bank and learning a ton and, and getting, uh, progressing in my career at a rate that I think, you know, I was really happy with at the time. It was really something that I had always wanted. Yeah. That allure of at least personal financial success of nothing else is definitely a pool. I know it was for me. Listeners to the show will remember that in episode one, I, I talked about coming to the end of, of school with a choice myself, one to go into a, a sales job at an aspiring tech company, uh, which has turned out great and something I eventually took over uh, the opportunity to go out to LA and act. And uh, it was just because of the same deal. You know, it was 
at least to me, not realistic enough to, for there to be any money in it. There were so many people vying for so few spots, and I decided that the allure of the real world and making money was more important. And that's where I am now, and that's where you were after two years into the job. But then uh, a chance trip to South America and a chance encounter changed your outlook on things. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, I think towards the end, I was getting a little burned out. Like, I was kind of working really hard and it wasn't so much the the job or the people as much as it was just like I was sitting at this desk all day and I was just kind of like I wasn't really working out I wasn't doing anything I was just like drinking a lot and I was just sitting all day and like I I don't know I just kind of like missed I missed the the competition of wrestling and I just kind of felt like I need some adventure in my life I went I took a vacation I went down to Peru to visit a friend uh my friend Ben who was a on my wrestling team in college and uh he had moved down there to do some volunteer work after after graduating and he started doing MMA down there and he became like this like champion of this big league down there and he's like famous in Peru like we're walking around with him people are stopping him on the street to get his autograph he's on TV all the time like I mean he's like a celebrity down in Peru and so like while I was down there I trained with the team and like mind you I had I was still in awful shape and I hadn't I hadn't been doing anything but uh, I trained with the team a little bit and like the level of wrestling is not very high in South America, and wrestling is a big, a very important component of MMA. And so I started wrestling with them a little bit down there, and the guys were just like, whoa, what is this? Kind of, And the, the coach was like, uh, took me out to drinks afterwards, and we, we started drinking whiskey and getting like, I mean, we were like <laughs> pretty drunk. And uh, <laughs> he's like, he's, he's talking, he doesn't speak any English, and I didn't speak any Spanish, so we're talking through Ben. And he's like, I'm going to get you to come down here and and fight MMA, and I'm like, you're crazy, man, what are you talking about, I got this job back in New York, no way, like, I'm like, that's cool, I'm flattered, but, uh, that's totally unrealistic, and he just was, like, really insistent about it, he was just kept saying, like, and he was, like, grinning, he's like, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you, and I'm like, no, no, I just, I, when I got back to work, like, his voice just kept echoing in my head, and I was like, man, that would be cool to do, that would be crazy, like, you know, I'm young, like, this would be my chance at adventure, like, I can't, I was like, I know I can't do this again, I kind of looked at the older guys in the industry. And I was like, you know, I bet you when they were my age, they probably said there was something they wanted to do. But they said, like, oh, I'll put it off for a few more years. And, um, and like, I just kind of thought about it. I was like, man, it doesn't work that way because, you know, maybe you get, like, a girlfriend or something. And then it just kind of keeps – you buy a house or something, and it keeps pushing it down. And so I knew I was like, I was either going to do it now or never. And so I just kind of, like, pulled the trigger and was like, all right, I'm moving to Peru. I wow. bought a one-way plane ticket to Peru for a few months later, and I quit my job, and everyone in my life thought it was uh, totally insane. Yeah, that's the next question I was going to say is, what did, what, did your, what did your family think? What did your friends think? They must have said, you know, you're, you're insane, man. Like, what do you think you're doing with your life? Yeah, so a lot of people would, like, lecture me and be like, you're ruining your life. Do you realize the opportunity you're throwing away? My parents were, like, really, really upset. My, my mom cried a lot. You know, it was, it was like a huge shock. I think there were a lot of people that were just like, Raleigh just blew a fuse and went crazy and like went ballistic. Like, I, I really think that it was uh, a lot of people kind of, kind of thought that way. So it was difficult. Like, but it, it, at the time, like, I just had this, like, I had this idea in my mind and I was just like, I just kind of put the blinders on and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to make this work. And I can't, like, I knew that I couldn't let any little bit of like doubt into my head because like, if I listened to them a little bit, it would just like, it would mess up my whole thing. So, like, I knew, knew that I needed to be, like, really focused on it for my own good. And I uh, I did everything I could to, like, make sure it worked and, you know, prove them all wrong, kind of. 
So, um, yeah, that's kind of where, where I was at. It was not, not easy. It's kind of like looking back at like, it seems so obvious, but you know, at the time it was totally new, unpaved territory. Sure. And so you get off the plane down there in Peru and I guess, uh, were you supported by your friend Ben down there at first or did you have any idea? Like, did you just get off the plane and say, okay, uh, I guess I'm staying somewhere tonight? Oh my God. Ben is like my hero. He's a lifesaver. He's an amazing human being. Um, you know, he runs a charity down there. He's like the nicest, like, you know, you say this guy will give you a shirt off his back. Like he will, will give you more than that. He'll give you his last last penny if, if you said you needed it like um and so yeah he helped me so much he's a he's an amazing person he took me in uh, i live with them with him and his wife and his daughter and she's a his wife is peruvian and like doesn't speak any english and so we had an amazing time down there that year you know we'd, i'd ride on the back of his motorcycle to practice every day two or three times a day we practiced like three times a day and it was a yeah it was a real like uh, a real shocker getting down there. I went from doing like no physical activity to working out three times a day. I lost like 20 pounds in the first like month I was there. Jeez. And um, it was, uh, yeah, culturally, like they don't speak very much English down there. I had to learn Spanish like really quickly. My coach uh, didn't speak, doesn't speak any English. This guy, Mon, who was eventually, he was in my corner for my MMA fights and so, like, to me, but it was cool. It was always, like, I tried to just think of it as, this is an adventure. Like, even the hard, difficult things, I was like, this is an adventure. This is so cool. Like, I'm just really jumping into the deep end of, of this whole thing. And, um, and yeah, it was the, just about the most extreme change you could go from, like, New York City, Wall Street life to, like, <laughs> shitty gym in Peru. Sorry, I don't know if I could swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, that, that's that's part of the territory. Right? You, you go from New York to Peru, you you do whatever you want, man. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but yeah, you know this gym in Peru with like living with Peruvian MMA fighters, and like they were the only people besides Ben. I didn't for the first like six months I was there. I didn't meet any other Americans. I didn't go out ever. I didn't have a sip of alcohol for four months. It was just this huge, huge, drastic lifestyle change for me. Well, that's that sounds uh, wild, man. I, I don't think that that I could do that. But you you get down to uh, Peru. You're, you're you're riding on the back of a motorcycle every day. You're slowly making friends. You're slowly learning the language, and you start to train. Now, uh, talk a little bit about once you you know adapt to the culture, to the language, to the people. Actually, getting in the ring was it just was it just as I guess simpler just as it had been in college when you were whooping up on most everyone around? Or obviously, MMA is, is a little more heavy contact than you have in wrestling traditionally. No, it was terrifying. Um, I thought that I'd be prepared for it. I kind of like, like, that was one of the appeals of MMA, though. For me, like, it was something that I remember always watching it on TV. I'd watch the UFC fights, the bloody everything, and like, I would just say to myself, like, I could never do that. That looks horrifying to me. Like, how, I don't, I didn't understand how someone would get in that ring and do that. And so to me, it was kind of this, like, challenge, like, to myself. Like, like, I don't like that feeling of saying, I can't do something. And to me, I've always told myself that I can't do that. And so that was kind of one of the appeals for me. But once I made up my mind to do it, I thought, like, I was just like, oh, I'll just go fight MMA. You know, I've wrestled my whole life. But, you know, as the fights grew closer and they became more reality, like, I was just scared shitless. I was terrified. Like, and I, I, well, I hadn't expected that. Like, I just was like, you know, my stomach would be in a knot and I would, I, I think this is a common. I think even guys at the most elite levels, 
feel this way. It, it is in a way like a, it has a feeling of like a life and death battle more than wrestling because yeah, you're getting, you're getting punched out there. You're getting elbows in your face. You get, you can get a knee to your face and it's just the uncertainty of it. And like, you know, you, it, your logical mind kind of shuts down and you say like, listen, you know, like it's probably more dangerous to say play football or something like that. Right. Like people die on the football field and you know, very few people have heard, but your 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 logical mind kind of shuts down, and your emotions take over, and you say, "What if I die out there?" Sure, or something like that. Talk about that first fight, actually stepping into the ring for the first time, assuming there's some sort of crowd around, but it's it's that very real fear that you're going through in your head, that rush of emotion. What what happened? Was it? I mean, did you make a meal out of this guy, or was it something that you didn't necessarily expect? Well, uh, yeah, my first amateur fight. Um, my coach told me like that day that I would be fighting later on I think he said he was like you're fighting at two o'clock I was like what I was like that's in a few hours and he was like you're ready you're fine and I, I was like no I'm not I, I had only been in Peru 20 days so like I really hadn't done much of anything at all but um he was a real like just hard-nosed kind of guy like he uh he just kind of like threw me right into the uh into the mix there and it was I almost didn't have time to be scared. Like my, you know, I, I was scared, but at the same time it was just like, well, here I am, I'm fighting this day. And he was like very insistent on it. So it was, um, it was kind of funny that I just, just went right in there and I did a right. Like, I mean, I, 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 I took a big punch to the, uh, to the mouth and a big fat lip afterwards, but I won the fight and mostly just used my wrestling. And it was, uh, it was a success. Like, I think that, um, you know, I believe in that kind of like just jump right in and, and try to fight your way out mentality. That's kind of what I did. So that was my first amateur fight. But, you know, my first professional fight was, uh, was a little different. It was, like, in front of a big crowd in a casino, a lot of pressure. And I remember, like, the weeks before the fight, like, I was, uh, I was, like, absolutely terrified. And I was like, why? I had, you know, I, I hadn't let myself have any doubts about my decision before that. But, um, at that point, I kind of, um, they all kind of came at once. And I was like, what did I do? Why am I here? I like I, I definitely shouldn't be here in Peru fighting MMA. Yeah, I mean it was uh it was really um really terrifying, but you know, like I said before, once I once I went out there and stepped in the ring, it was a whole different thing and like that that kind of fear went away. It was just the anticipation of it all. And how long was it between the first amateur one and the first professional one? Um, let's see. I think it was like a month and a half or something. I fought my first amateur fight, and then I fought my second amateur fight like a few weeks later, and then my first professional fight like a few weeks later. Like I said, it's it's a little different down there in Peru. Like in the United States, they wouldn't really let you do that. They would uh, really make sure that you uh, were like had sufficient amount of time off between between your fights. And um, down there, they just kind of threw me into the mix, and like it was just like ready go. <laughs> and uh, wow, it, it was a different experience. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. You get through your first professional fight. Now you are fully in the thick of it. You've had plenty of experience, I guess, at least in the eyes of those in Peru. And after a while, you decide, man, not only do I love this, I want to continue this, but I, I got I to gotta log this somewhere. I got to record it. I got to, you know, I got to make sure my story is told because there's too much, as I was reading your book reviews online and the book summary, you said, there is too much for me to, you know, potentially experience right now and not put on paper. I have to write it. Talk about that too, because it's not, normally you see athletes who are performing uh, at, at a high level for a long, long time, retiring, and then going and writing sort of a memoir, but you decided to do it while you were right in the thick of it. 
Yeah, so I I started a blog right away, and because like I told you before, like a lot of people when I when I first left and when I first made this decision, I think a lot of people were like, "What the hell is Raleigh doing? Like this is crazy," and they just didn't understand. Like I said, the people were like, "Oh, he went off the deep end or something." So I started writing a blog actually when I was in the airport on my way down to Peru. I wrote my first blog post, and uh, it just kind of explained my decision and what made me do it and what led up to that. Like even my first blog post went like. I think I shared like 20 times or something like that. It was like, and it was like this big, people were like really interested in the story and everything like that. So I, I just kind of like, I wanted to document it at first. I wrote a blog as I went and like, I think like there were, it was pretty cool because there were a lot of people that had doubted it and everything before. And like, as I started writing about the experience and being like open about what was driving me to do it and what exactly I was going through and kind of detailing it, people like, that were initially like the kind of people that were like, what are you doing? You're throwing your life away. Were like, and they even told me later, like, oh man, I thought you were an idiot at first. But like, as I was reading more, like it, I, I started to understand it and it became like really cool. And they became kind of fans of, of the whole thing. And so it was really fun to do that and to kind of like create a, a dialogue and to take people into this world. Because I think it's kind of a, a world that like the typical average person has, like doesn't get to experience. Like what it's actually like being a cage fighter in, South America and like the kind of uh, crazy experiences I went through down there. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to open up and show people what I was doing at the time. Yeah, as I was writing the blog, everyone was like, oh, you should write a book. And I kind of like, I always had it in the back of my mind, but I, it was never like, it was never the explicit goal. It was never something I was like, oh, I'm doing this so that I can, um, you know, someday write a book. But it was just something that um, I, uh, I had always kind of like thought about in the back of my mind. But, uh, uh, about halfway through, I really, uh, really started buckling down and and writing every day, and I took it very seriously. And um, and yeah, I just started like sitting down every day and writing. I would sit down after my morning practice and and write for hours. And uh, you know, a book came together, and it was funny because I kind of finished the book, and then like a lot more stuff happened. And I kind of thought I was done. And then, you know, the ending totally changed and everything. So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of weird, like you said, writing it in the middle of everything and not, like, at the end looking back. Yeah, for sure. And that's really inspiring, not only because it started as a justification to the people who thought you were insane, but immediately, you know, turned them into supporters. And I think you're right, gave them vision into a life that not only practically were they unlikely to replicate as most people don't become MMA cage fighters, but rather jumping into something new or something different, leaving a determined path. So, you know, leaving that comfort of Wall Street, however you want to define that, and doing something completely crazy. Now that people see, oh, okay, he actually has a reasoning for this. And I think probably they turned from skeptics into admirers uh, very, very quickly. And I'm sure that the folks who read your book, you know, now and who read the blog as you were posting felt the same way. Talk a little bit about the move that you've had now uh, away from Peru now because you're living in Spain at the moment. Yeah, so um, it's a really, uh, really long story how I got here. I was seeing a uh, British girl when I was down in Peru and um, I was thinking about moving to England and I uh, I was over there and it didn't work out between the two of us and so I was in like I was in Europe and I was like what am I going to do I'm in Europe now and um, 
at this point, my, my MMA career had kind of ended for various reasons. I had an injury, and um, I had, you know, I go into this more in detail in the book. It's, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot more to it. It's very difficult to explain, but um, for, for various reasons, I was kind of like burned out of my MMA career, and I kind of realized this is not what I wanted to do in the end, even though I was very, like, I was extremely dedicated to it. It was the only thing that I wanted to do at the time, but then I... I, uh, after five fights down there, I was kind of like, it's not, not working out. And, um, and I was kind of like very lost in the world. I wasn't really sure what I wanted, what I wanted to do. I was going to maybe move to England and then didn't work out with that girl. And I started traveling through Europe and I wound up in Spain and I just loved it in Spain. I like really, my first time there and I had an amazing time and I met amazing people and I really fell in love with the country. I started asking everyone I could about like jobs to move there, potential ways to do it. And on my last day in Barcelona, someone told me about this uh, this program that hires English teachers, and I was like, "That's it, I'm doing that." And I applied to it like that night from my hostel. And yeah, I've been in Spain for like, uh, I mean, it's my second year here. I've been here like for about a, a year and a half now. So it's uh, it's been like the you know one of the best years of my life I really uh I have an amazing time I have amazing friends here I can't even imagine my life without it it's funny though that like I never never planned on this or anything it just kind of like just kind of happened and uh yeah so now I, I lived in Madrid last year and now I live in the um in the Canary Islands in a place called Tenerife it's uh yeah it's been very fun and I don't um I actually don't really wrestle or 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 train MMA or anything anymore and it's funny because people are like do you miss it because it was such a big part of me before that like when I when I finished wrestling I missed it so much it was such a huge part of me that's kind of what drove me to Peru and now that I've kind of done it I'm like now that I went through all that I'm like no I don't actually I kind of like went and did it and so uh, to me I kind of like I I think I really just got it out of my system like I took it to the end I, I drove it into the ground you know it's kind of the next next stage of my journey now. Gotcha. So you have taken this journey. Obviously, you're now several steps in. I have two more questions as it pertains to this interview specifically. The first is about people who are contemplating that first step, that first jump away into something brand new, potentially something risky, but maybe something that's a dream that they're following or some passion that they're cultivating that draws them away from a life of relative security into something new. Having been there, what would you tell somebody like that? Um, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I think that there's, like, a, a ton of reasons not to. Like, I think that all the time, like, if you go through, like, and, and you list all the, the logical reasons not to do something, there are, like, a ton of great reasons. Like, when, when, you, when you think about taking a risk and doing something like that, there's, like, all these, you could say they're excuses, but the thing is, they're, like, real things. Like, when I was leaving, you know, I was upsetting my parents. It's a real thing. It's not an excuse. Like, it's a real... Thing. I was leaving a lucrative job and potentially destroying my, my career. So, like, it's kind of easy to say, like, oh, there's excuses not to do something. But at the time, they're, they're real things. So, like, but you have to look at them and, like, really say what, what's important to you and, and take a look at that. And, you know, you have to make some sacrifices. Like, it's not going to be easy. Like, that's the, whole, that's the whole purpose of it. Like, that's the whole uh, thing. Nothing worthwhile is just going to be easy you're not going to walk through it and not have any challenges and um and so yeah i mean like i think a lot of people say like oh take the risk and um 
you know, don't make excuses, but that's kind of like a platitude. Like, when you look at what excuses are, they're, they're actually real difficult things to, to overcome, but you just have to say, just make a decision and say, I'm going to do this no matter what. And like, for instance, when I was kind of on the fence about my, um, about leaving for Peru, I just went online one day and just bought a plane ticket for like three months in the future, just an arbitrary day. I was like, that, that I'm going to leave. I'm going down by one way flight. And like, that was kind of my way of saying like, I'm going to do this. And no matter what kind of like, things come in my way after this, I just know that I'm going to have to do it anyway. Yeah, that's really, that's really, that's really interesting. You know, it's a careful consideration of the potential downside, but then deciding to just strive through it anyway. And I really like the idea of just putting it in the future saying, okay, maybe right now I can think of a great number of reasons to not do this. There are people who might be upset but you know what? This is something I want to do for my life. So I'm just going to set this and it's just going to happen and I'm just going to deal with it. And you know what? It's going to be great. I love that mentality. I think you see a lot of people that have like, you know, try to do something like this and they get like 95% of the way there. They're like almost there. And then one of these big excuses, like I don't like the word excuse, but like one of these big obstacles kind of comes in the way and they're just like, ah, oh, that's it. I can't do it anymore. But like, I, I don't know. I've just always been kind of stubborn and like you just set your mind to something and, uh, jump off the cliff and see what happens. Gotcha. Well, one last question for you, Raleigh. Uh, if people want to get into contact with you or to read your book, I'm going to give you a chance to pub it. Where can they find it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can find it on Amazon. It's on Kindle um, and hardcover. And my website is uh, RaleighPeterkin.com, and I've written a blog there. I've actually even uh, kind of got back to blogging recently. I wasn't, uh, wasn't active on there for a while, so... Uh, I, you know, I've been getting back there, writing about traveling and stuff like that. Pretty easy to find on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Raleigh Peterkin, usually. Sounds great. And listeners, I'll make sure to have all those in the show notes as well as a link to his book. Raleigh Peterkin, uh, it was great talking to you, man. Uh, I'm going to let you get back home because I know you were walking down the road. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, sorry for the... Uh... <laughs> Ambient noise there. I hope that doesn't uh, doesn't get in the way. Nah, not at all. Not at all, man. Only adds to it. I'll uh, I'll be uh, talking to you later. And thanks so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Raleigh's book, The Cage: Escaping the American Dream, is available on Amazon, and I'll link to that in the notes as promised. It's an incredible story, much more than can be captured in a single interview, so be sure to check it out, as well as all of his social media presences and his ongoing blog, available at RaleighPeterkin.com. Raleigh, it was a pleasure to have you on the show to hear about your journey across industries and across worlds in pursuit of your life's interests. Thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. To hear more inspiring stories of daring individuals like Raleigh, keep following To Dare as Human by subscribing to the show on wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating and review of the show if you like what you hear. Please, please do this. I want to see the feedback. I want to keep improving this show for you. And likewise, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at To Dare is Human. And you can reach me directly by email at todareishuman at gmail.com. All right, that's it. That's all for this episode of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Connor. Have a good one. Keep daring, and I'll see you later. Bye.